Good afternoon, everybody. This is Debbie Q with The Right Shoe. The Right Shoe is a podcast about all things strange and unusual, especially in reference to a death. Today, I am going to do the death of Dana Satterfield. I was originally going to do Stephen Stainer and his brother Carrie, not Corey, which I thought for years and years it was Corey. I know the story since it came out, but it's bigger than I expected as usual. And I just couldn't get all the details down. So I wanted to do a case that I am, it's it's going to be the next one, but I'm going to do the case of Dana Satterfield because I know this case well, and it's one that I often thought about. And when I was going over my unsolved mysteries, I remember, I I was like, wow, I forgot all about that case. And it is really fascinating. Dana, I'm just going to jump right into it. There's not much business, or I choose a podcast. I'm on Instagram. I do have an email address. Hold on, my dog drives me nuts. Every time I sit in this podcasting room, it gets nuts. Come on, come on. I do have an email address. It's debbieq at therightshoepodcast.com, but I I'm telling you, I, I've been really crazy busy right now, just working. So if you really want to get in touch with me urgently, contact my Instagram, the right shoe podcast underscore underscore, because I'll get to that very quickly. I, I go on there every day. I always put a story up. It's just so easy. The sto- I love stories because you can click on them. It's quick. You don't have to go through a whole thing. You know, I should post stuff, but okay. I I like just getting to it. Dana Satterfield, she was a very pretty blonde. She lived in Roebuck, South Carolina. She was born November 16th, 1967. At the time of her death, it was uh, July 31st, 1995, and it was a hot summer's day. The people that knew Dana said she was lively, full of life. She really like had a zest for life. And she 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 was a hairdresser, but she, she had her own little, it was like a double wide trailer and it was converted into her own hairdressing salon. Everyone liked her. She had no enemies. She was hardworking. She was eager to help others. And she had an amicable nature that allowed her to make friends quickly. And she was a loving mother of two. So I, I want to see how I should start this out because how it was a really fascinating case. Picture a hot, steamy night. There's one witness and her name is Shirley on Unsolved Mysteries. But later they say her real name and it's Diane. And, you know, this is why this case, when I first watched it, it was so compelling. It was a hot summer night in Roebuck, South Carolina. This woman, Diane, she's walking. She was selling a cleaning product. Now, in the 90s, this is a big thing. Selling anything, and, and you would get paid by the sales. I mean, even now, I guess they have it as, you know, and it's really hard. It's a really hard job. But back then, they would get people by saying, oh, you can make all this money. But in the meantime, you're really selling. It's a hard job to make your money by your sales, especially when you're starting out, because you don't even have clientele or you don't even know how to. But anyway, so Diane's selling a cleaning product. She goes up to this hairdressing salon, which happens to be in the double wide trailer and Dana Satterfield's working there. And it's a hot, steamy Wednesday, July 31st, 1995 night. She walks in and she said she was really cool. She was like real energetic. And she kept saying she was, uh, 
She kept saying she was real friendly and outspoken. And I really like this woman, Diane. Or, yeah, her name's Shirley in Unsolved Mysteries, but Diane's her real name. She really came off well. She's a crack up for what, how she describes the killer. But I'll get to it. So she goes to sell this cleaning product to Dana Satterfield, and Dana Satterfield buys it. And she's really excited, but she says, look, I'm really busy. I, I got it. I think Dana, because she had two young kids at home, liked to clean and get out at a certain time before it got dark. So, And it was getting late. So Diane said, okay, I'll you know, go do two more customers or three and then come back. And Dana went about her business, and she left her cleaning product in a certain spot. She did her thing, Diane, and when she came back, it was 8-11. She remembers glancing at the clock, and Dana was sweeping up, and she waved to Diane. So Diane wanted to even go in and talk to her again, but she's like, I didn't want to get in trouble. Now, I don't know if she meant with Dana or with her company, but she went back, did another job, and then, so it was only 20 minutes. This is how fast things can change. From 8.11 to 8.30, everything was different. She came back when she had just waved hi to Dana and she didn't see Dana. And she was like, you know, she thought it was weird, but she said, okay, I'll stand on the corner. And she was waiting for her ride. The lights were on when she walked up, but then they quickly went off. So she thought, oh, good, Dana's coming out. I really want to talk to her again. So she's waiting, and then she hears a bang. Then she hears another bang. Then she hears another bang. Then she hears all this clattering, and this guy jumps out of the window. Like she said, I turn around, and this guy is on the ground. I'm going to let Diane tell it. Dana was cleaning up, getting everything, I guess, to close up the shop for the night. She was like wiping out the sink. She was standing right between where I left my product at. And um, I waved at her and I kept going. I noticed the lights was on and I was gonna go into the shop, the beauty shop, but I just stopped. And I said, no, I better not go in. I might get in trouble. So I went and stood at the street at the edge of the pavement. And I noticed I heard a, a noise, a loud thump noise. Uh, I kept hearing about two or three thump noises. I kept looking back. And I said, wow, she getting ready to come out then. I was happy because, you know, I wanted to talk to her. By that time, I heard a big crash sound. When I looked to my left, I noticed a man getting off the ground, off his knees. And I just grabbed my bag and I started running. And we met and we looked at each other. You know how a crazy person look when they're crazy? That's how he looked like he was real crazy. I am sorry. I got to listen to that one more time. Now, this describes every psycho that ever existed. You know how a crazy person look when they're crazy? That's how he looked like he was real crazy. That statement is fucking fantastic. So he looks like a loon. I mean, this guy comes jumping out. She freaks. She thinks it's a burglar, so she runs across to the liquor store. Yeah, or she tries, and she comes with this guy. Then she runs out in the street to get help. They drive away, which is another thing. Why, whenever, in any of these, even in the I Survives, like, women have no clothes on. They're running down the street with blood dripping off. 
and people just drive away. Like, I can understand you're scared or whatever, but at least call 911 and say, look, I'm a little startled, but I'll call 911. Something, just don't drive off. It's crazy, that's crazy. You're not a crazy person look when they're crazy. That's how he looked like he was real crazy. She calls the police. She goes to the liquor store, calls the police. The police come. Now they're thinking they're investigating a burglary. They walk in and they find Dana Satterfield not only dead, but she was tied to the hot water heater, you know, a ligature around her neck hanging there. I mean, they were like horrified. It did look like a sexual assault had happened. So they, you know, obviously they bring the homicide unit in. There was another guy that came forward during all of this. And he said when he, because she saw a white Bronco with blue trim, Diane, Diane Harris, that's her name. Uh, They also saw a white, this guy driving. I think he worked, he worked nearby, but he knew Dana. I think a lot of guys knew Dana because she was cute. But when he drove past, he said people were aware. It's like a small town. They, they're aware of people's comings and goings. And they said, he said, I, I knew Dana's shop and I knew she would have been closed by now. But yet there was a Ford Bronco, white with blue trim, right outside park. That guy, so they had this, they had the white Bronco with blue trim. And the guy said, initially, I thought that'd be easy to find. He said, instead, you know, I I didn't realize there was as many as there were. And Diana gives an excellent composite sketch. So they thought this wouldn't be too hard. So they're looking for this Bronco. In the meantime, they're doing the forensics and they find a fingerprint on the water heater. One of the cops that did the, what was doing this, the investigator said, oh, whoever left this fingerprint, it's definitely the killer. And the other cop was like, I don't, you know, that's a pretty strong word. And he's like, well, no, the way the knot was tied and the way the person's hands there, it would have to have been the, the fingerprint to the killer. You know, I guess trying to do some kind of crazy forensics, but... The fingerprint turned out to be her her husband. Well, they just separated, Mike Satterfield. He was the father of their kids and everything. And the daughter, Ashley, was like, I knew it wasn't my dad because he was with us. I always felt really bad for her kids because that's really fucked up. She was only seven years old when her mom was killed. Because we were with him that night. Of course, when he got the phone call, we talked to her and then he took us up there. So, I mean, I knew there's no way that my dad did it or had anything to do with it. So Ashley knew it wasn't her dad because she was with, like she knew instinctively because they were there at the same time that Dana was being killed. They do have DNA from the rape kit that was done on Dana. But at that time, that was 95. That was still pre-DNA. And the fingerprints were everything. So they run the fingerprint through APHIS, which is the automatic fingerprint. I think it's called automatic fingerprint identification system. So they run the fingerprint through APHIS. There's no match. And, you know, and the DNA wasn't even, it wasn't even authenticated yet like dna didn't exist in that i think oj the year before had just went through it and they didn't even believe the dna at the time so it wasn't perfected yet so they put the ford bronco sign out and then it's so bad that like you know i guess the one person they the mom actually put a sign out because they kept getting phone calls 
that that Ford Bronco was involved. And it's like they, they they put out the APB on this Ford Bronco. And one of the moms of an individual who's who owned one of those four Broncos actually put a sign in the window. This is not the vehicle that was in the Dana Satterfield case. So don't even think about it. And I mean, that's how like crazy this thing about the Ford Bronco had gotten. So they never, they never found what they were looking for back then. So time goes on about 10 years pass something very i mean they you know they considered it a cold case the investigators were like oh my god we're never going to solve this case so in the meantime they're going through people going through people and they come across this guy and uh, you know during in, in prison you know they go back and forth all the time prisoners will go and say oh my cellmate told me this or whatnot to get reduced sentences or whatever. Well, this one prisoner said that his cellmate, Russell Quinn, actually carried a picture of Dana Satterfield with him and talked about her frequently. So he went to investigators with this, and it turns out that Russell Quinn looked a lot like the composite sketch that Diane, the sole witness in the case, the sole eyewitness in the case, it looked just like the composite sketch that she had given. So they went to Russell Quinn. They brought in Diane. And Diane actually picked Russell Quinn in a lineup as the guy. And it did look remarkably similar. But when they did the DNA, it wasn't him. It wasn't the per you know, it wasn't the guy who killed Dana. So more time goes on and it was to the point where Dana's daughter Ashley thought that they were, he was never going to get caught. You know, people would ask her about it, and she was like, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Then comes a day when Ashley, the daughter, walks in to get her car fixed, and this the mechanic is like, oh, who's that? Because she was cute. She looks just like her mother. So he's asking who that was, and the guy said, oh, that's Dana Satterfield's daughter. And he said, I didn't even know she had kids. And his heart was broken, and he knew he had to do something. Long ago, 10 years prior, you know, the guy would go to the police and tell this story. He was in the car. He was 17, and he had gotten a ride home from his friend, his best friend, Jonathan Vick. He said when they were driving in the car and Jonathan Vick was like, oh, I got to get my hair cut. And he was like, oh, okay, you're going to get your hair cut this late? Like it was getting late. And he said, yeah, Dana has her shop up the street and I'm going to ask her out too. And the guy like started laughing at him because first of all, she was 10 years older than him. He just, you know, was like, he thought he was kidding. But Jonathan Vick got really pissed off. and was like, what, you don't think I could get her? So he kind of let it go at that. And then when he heard that Dana was killed, he went back to that night. But he said, like, I never really thought, like, could it really be him? He did call anonymously, but I guess because there was nothing else of Jonathan Vick, like, they can't go after any, you know, you can't go after everybody just because one person says one thing. So it was only later on that he finally went to the police and said, look, uh, you got to really look into Jonathan Vick. And this guy's name was Michael Pace. So Michael Pace, even though the police said they were a little pissed that he took so long to come to them, at least he finally did. I mean, he could have never came. And then Michael Vick wouldn't have had them come to him and they did his CNA and it matched. 
that time so long ago when the mother had put a sign in the window to that Ford Bronco, it was actually Jonathan Vick's mother. So she pretty much knew. I, I mean, unless he told her, no, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But that's really weird that it happened in that little community. And she put that sign up there. Like, did she know where her son was that, that night? You know, people often say, oh, how could the mother do that? But Maybe she didn't really know until the DNA match. Then she's got to know. I mean, she might have not known back then, but she knew now. And trust me, your denial uh, frame has to be really high when it's your son who's accused. I know it's easy to blame, but think about how you would feel if someone said your son raped somebody. Your immediate instinct would be no way, unless your son's a freak. But I mean, the thing is, Jonathan Vick... DNA matched. The car matched. That kid came in. It was him. No doubt about it. And he comes to court and he's like crying like a freaking like, dude, police. You should see. He looks like a big toad. They said he had gotten fired from so many jobs because he was such a hothead. And then there was another girl missing. Her name was Renee Sellers. Because they said, you know, it's rare that a guy just kills one girl and that's it. Let me see. This guy with Jonathan Vick. Heather Renee Sellers. Jonathan Vick was engaged to this girl, Heather Renee Sellers, and she was found dead. Her car was at the bottom of a ravine. The case was never solved. She was still, I guess they didn't find her in the car. They, they just found her car. Still missing case. And she was engaged to Jonathan Vick. So they're suspicious that he had killed her. But in the meantime, he's in court crying like a freaking baby. He thought he got away with it. He had a little infant girl at home. It was guilty, 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 all 12 guilty. I mean, they all, they all knew it. Yeah. I'll never forget the words that he chose because after all of this, there was still such an arrogance almost or... How can you accuse me, this innocent man that I am? How can they convict me of this? Dana's brother is still free, and I'm going to prison. <laughs> she, she did not get justice today. And then the judge said, you're going to prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> so F off. I mean, and that's like, he's boohooing like a pussy. And it's like, dude, you did it. The DNA, it's 99, like, billion it was insane how much the it was like there was trust me there was no chance it was like ni- 99 trillion to one that it was not jonathan vick and his mom i guess was still saying oh it's not him no it's him at that point you gotta come on the guy michael pace is saying i was in the car he said it was him he had threatened to kill michael pace that's why michael said he was always afraid to come out but he had i believe that michael pace was the same person that called them anonymously but they couldn't investigate it further because just one anonymous phone call but that's why the mom put the sign out and then all these years passed so he just thought he was going to get away with it and he didn't so he's booing like a bitch and you know what tough shit you got caught so, you know, Dana's daughter, like, she's grown up now, and, and she has no mother. That's such a sad case. I mean, and that would have been a case that could have been unsolved forever. And it was an easily solvable case, but Michael Pace had to have come forward with that information. And fortunately for Diane Harris, she she they said that her from her information of what he looked like, the composite sketch that they drew, 
literally matched John F. Vick to a T, which is rare. Uh, eyewitness testimonies are usually the weakest because they get a lot of stuff wrong, which she was right, like with his height and everything. I just thought that was an interesting case. It was short, but I, I don't like to ha- go too long without giving a little case. That was, that was a nugget. If you go on and look at forensic files and unsolved mysteries it's a really good especially the unsolved mysteries because of well they call her shirley in the first one but um i didn't realize they were two of the same cases until i had her name dana satterfield oh and they originally i i I mean i did say this but one of the puzzling aspects because when that woman diane was standing on the corner jonathan vick had jumped out of the window they still don't know like why he just didn't walk out the front door i mean if he had just, you know, not that this is good that he's such an idiot, but if he had like left the lights on, just casually walked out of the door, Diane might have thought he was like somebody that knew her or just got a haircut. Instead, he comes screaming through the freaking window. Autumn, you know, that's what brought all the attention there, which is a good thing. But, I, you know, they said it was a mystery why he jumped through the window. And when the guy, the cop said, oh, it's whoever this fingerprint is, it's got to be the perpetrator. And then it was it was Mike Satterfield. And the daughter said it couldn't have been him. And she knew it wasn't because he was with her. But also the one cop said, because Mike was a big dude. He said, I knew it couldn't have been him because Mike would even tell you this. He wouldn't have been able to fit through that window. So right on the in the beginning... They pretty much knew it It wasn't the husband. It's just by the sheer luck that DNA came into place. They had matched, and then they matched the fingerprint to Jonathan Vicks. It just pisses me off a little bit about the Bronco that the mom, I don't know, you know, the, there was an anonymous call and the cops, you know, knew that Jonathan Vick, I, I believe they knew because they had to have known if the mom got enough phone calls that she put that sign in the the bronco window that it's not this is not the car that was involved in the dana satterfield case you know that leads to a lot of questions too did the mom know did she did he say mom it wasn't me and she just believed him because it was her son then when the dna come out there's no refuting that it was him so you know what is your excuse now It, it is messed up and and then like you know, I often believe because of the way he was crying and carrying on, I can almost sense that in his pea brain that he thinks, oh my God, I don't deserve this. I mean, it was only one time, even though he probably did kill that other girl. But I think that they think so much time has passed that why are you dredging this up? Like the Golden State Killer. You can tell, like Paul Hottie Holes, he said when when they went to the Golden State Killer's house, when he answered the door, he looked at them like, why are you bringing this old shit up? And another guy. Oh, God, there's so many good cases out there. I don't want to tell the whole story again. It was just this. I'd have to look it up. It was on a forensic files. This guy shoots a cop and the cop fires back and he shoots this guy in the shoulder. I can't remember names or nothing. So year, 50 years go by, literally, the guy's 80 years old and they go to his house because through a series of events, they figured out who it was. And it was all because of that bullet wound. It was like a mark of, oh, they figured out who it was. So they go to the guy's house, the 80-year-olds, and they knock on the door. And they said when he answered the door, he was the one that opened the door and was like, oh, my God, you're coming at me now with that? 
because of that bullet wound, they had him take off his shirt and that bullet wound was still there. So they knew it was him. That's another great, God, Forensic Files is such a great show. I'll, I'll try to dig that one out. His name was like George, Gerald, uh, it was Gerald something. And he wrote the name down. And, uh, I could go on forever. But that was the case of Dana Satterfield. And I will be doing the Steven Stainer one next. It's a request. It's a great case, but there's a lot of information. I mean, I just, I know that case forever. And, you know, his brother, his name is, his, Stephen Sanders brother's name is Carrie. And I thought it was Corey forever. So there's a lot of little, little nicks that I have to do. I have to get fine tuned in that case, but it won't be as long as poor Betsy Ardzma. So have a nice night. This is Debbie Q with the right shoe. This is a short one. It's a short, it's a mini-sode. Have a nice night, guys. It's Sunday. Relax.